If you've been following the Sociology Podcast since I launched it in 2021, you will be aware of the Reverse Psychology subseries, which is basically unpopular Chicago opinions from Chicago. You will also be aware of the SAT, the Sociology Awareness Test, where I quiz random Chicagoans about different questions in regards to Chicago history and culture. Well, this Black History Month, I'm introducing the Chicago Goats subseries. This is basically a black Chicago history blitz that details and gives brief summaries of different black Chicagoans that lived in our city and did great things in their respective careers and left a huge impact not on the city but on the entire world. So without further ado, let's get into it. From Harold Washington to Harold's Chicken and everything in between and beyond, this is Sociology. Bear with me as I read you all something. Quote, Beginning with the emancipation of the Negro and the inevitable result of unbridled power exercised for two and a half centuries by the white man over the Negro, began to show itself in acts of conscienceless outlawry. During the slave regime, the southern white man owned the Negro body and soul. It was to his interest to dwarf the soul and preserve the body, vested with unlimited power over his slave to subject him to any and all kinds of physical punishment, the white man was still restrained from such punishment as tended to injure the slave by abating his physical powers and thereby reducing his financial worth. While slaves were scourged and in countless cases inhumanely treated in other respects, still the white owner rarely permitted his anger to go so as far to take a life, which would entail upon him a loss of several hundred dollars. The slave was rarely killed. He was too valuable. It was easier and quite as effective for discipline or revenge to sell him down south. End quote. In other words, once slavery was abolished in this country, black people had no value to white landowners anymore. If you didn't find a way to throw them into the convict lease system, or if you didn't find a way to get them into the sharecropping system, they were pointless. America had a refugee problem. These are the words. This is the opening of Ida Bell Wells Barnett, or more commonly known as Ida B. Wells. This is the opening of her second expose in regards to lynchings in the Deep South titled The Red Record. Doesn't it sound like somebody that's on a mission to expose the ugly truth in America? The Rare Record was published in 1894. It was two years after her first expose on lynchings was published, titled Southern Horrors, Lynch Law in All Its Phases. That was in 1892. I used to follow my Uncle Ronnie around throughout the Douglas community, Bronzeville, Kenwood, parts of Oakland. My Uncle Ronnie didn't have a car, but he would run a lot of errands for my grandmother, for my grandmother's neighbors. And I used to follow him around. I used to be a shadow. You know, I couldn't wait to go on walks with Uncle Ronnie. I remember one day we was walking down King Drive and he told me that's Ida B. Wells' house right there. Now, I'm a kid. I don't even know who Ida B. Wells is. But he would say that's Ida B. Wells' house. But in the 1970s, her house was designated a National Historic Landmark. 3624 King Drive is where Ida B. Wells, her husband, and her children lived. That's where they eventually settled until her death in 1931. Across the street was the Ida B. Wells Housing Projects, which by the Chicago Housing Authority. It was a series of row houses and mid-rise apartments bordered by 35th Street to the north, 39th Street to the south, Cottage Grove to the east, and King Drive to the west. 
they are no longer there. They shut them down in the early 2000s. And I think the last of the buildings were demolished in 2011. It's nothing but an open field now. In fact, the only thing that's there is a Mariano's with a Starbucks in it. Um, it's a bank over there. It's condos over there. You would never know that it was housing projects on that block. And you will not know that Ida B. Wells' house is on that block unless you are paying attention. Ida B. Wells Barnett was angry at the oblivious nature this country had in regards to not only lynchings inflicted on free men and women, but the excuses for these lynchings is what really pissed her off. Pissed her off so much so that she transversed through the Deep South in the 1890s to interview family members of lynching victims. Think about that. This is a black woman going state to state asking questions. That screams dangerous, doesn't it? But she didn't care. She did it anyway. Because she's the investigative journalist and the truth had to come to light. Ida B. Wells was born into enslavement on July 16th, 1862 in Holly Springs, Mississippi, which is also home to the HBCU Russ College, where she would enroll in her teenage years. Unfortunately, her parents would die abruptly from yellow fever and she moved around a lot with family members eventually settling in Memphis, Tennessee with a couple siblings. And there she became the editor-in-chief and co-owner of the black-owned newspaper, The Free Speech and Headlight. It was based out of the Bill Street Baptist Church. She became very vocal with her anti-segregation activism. And she was so vocal and so loud about it that she was fired from her teaching position by the Memphis Board of Education. But it wasn't until a friend of hers and a black grocery store owner in Memphis was lynched that her investigative journalism work really took off. And it was at that point that she urged black people in Memphis to leave the city altogether. And she began investigating lynchings in Mississippi. One week while she was away in New York City, um, a white mob ransacked her business, um, harassed her business partners, and she never returned to the city of Memphis. Um, in Chicago in 1893, during the World's Fair, she met a man who had like-minded interests. He was an attorney. But he was also a activist. He was also anti-segregation, also, also anti-lynching. His name was Fernandan Lee Barnett. He was the founder of the Chicago Conservatory, which was the oldest black newspaper in the city. They got married in 1895, and upon that time, that's when Ida B. Wells became the editor-in-chief and a partner of that newspaper. Her anti-lynching and anti-segregation activism continued once she settled in Chicago. In fact, it took off even more so. Um, she established the first black kindergarten in the city, which was in the basement of the Bethel AME Church, the same church where her and Ferdinand got married at. Her great-granddaughter noted that Ida B. Wells' attitude was, since it doesn't exist, we're going to create it ourselves. And this was her way of bridging her family life and her work life together by creating this black kindergarten to exist for these kids in her community. As we know, she was a founding member of the NAACP in 1909. Her and her husband and her family settled into that home at 3624 King Drive near the end of the 19-teens, the early end of the 20th century. In 2018, Congress Parkway downtown was renamed Ida B. Wells Drive, which made it the first downtown street named after a woman of color, period, regardless of race. And her journey took her all the way from enslavement in Mississippi to Memphis, to around the country, to around the world, across the Atlantic Ocean to Europe. And she landed right here in Chicago. And this is where she remained to continue dedicated to her anti-lynching work, to her anti-segregation work, to her feminism work, to her women's rights work. She remained in Chicago where she passed away in 1931. 
But Ida B. Wells is the investigative journalist. She showed us that students of journalism can always rely on the power in the pen and the truth will not be denied as long as you have that perseverance because she had that perseverance, which is why she was doing the work that she did. Ida B. Wells, along with her husband, now rests at the Oakwood Cemetery in the Woodlawn neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. If you enjoyed this podcast, I ask for two things and I would love you forever. Number one, please engage with us on social media. So like, share, subscribe, and comment on whatever platform you're listening to it on. And number two, please make sure you pass on to a friend who will enjoy it as well.